0: Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I have some good news for you. The hottest take—it's back. Oh yeah! Monday through Thursday, four times a week, you hear from me, Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy, Mallory Rubin, Wazdeen Lambrey, Van Lathan, Jude Lippman, many other Ringer staffers. You get one take. You got to defend it to the death. Sports takes, pop culture takes, food takes, airplane takes. Oh yeah! It's coming back. First episode drops August 29th.
1: It's the Ringer NBA Show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explorer page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit the ringer.com backslash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older and present in select states gambling problem, call 1 800 Gambler or visit the ringer.com backslash RG. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai,
2: whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach. The all new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure with features like available H track all wheel drive. You can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud or standard third row seating. So your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com.
3: Welcome to this special Friday edition of Group Chat. I am Justin Ferrier. Joining me, Big Wise, Rob Mahoney. Wise, we have reached part three of the now annual preseason Group Chat Power Rankings. Are you excited?
4: I feel like this is the final countdown in the, in the song that played at damn near every college party I ever went to um, is now playing in my head. Is it, That's a song, right? The, the final, final countdown.
3: countdown. Yeah. yeah, that one. Okay. <laughs>
4: that wasn't bad. That wasn't
3: bad. <laughs> there you go. It's my next career. Um, so, as I mentioned at the top of part two, which you listen to on Wednesday, hopefully, um, we are recording this one immediately after part two. And so, if the vibes are a little. Frisky, or they're a little deflated. We're not totally sure which will happen right now, but that's probably why. Uh, Rob, do you think at this age you're you're capable of of doing back to backs, or should we should we put you on rest here?
5: We're gonna find out. You know, I'm sure. up for for ranking some shit, so I, I think we can do it.
4: The vibes uh. are incandescent,
5: Justin. How dare you? <laughs> that's right.
3: Um, especially because we are gonna start at number fourteen on our list. With a team that is probably one of the most interesting in the NBA. That is the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, should I just do my whole Pelican spiel? Yeah. Before here? Is it going to be hate? Because
4: everybody in New Orleans knows you hate the Pelicans, Justin. Right, right. Yeah. I, I
3: just hate <laughs> them. I want bad things to happen to them. That's true. Um, first, we should mention if if this is your first check in on the on the power rankings. We have ranked every team one to 30. We averaged out the rankings. Isaiah Blakely broke, our producer broke the ties here, including for the Pelicans over the Lakers who are number 15. Uh, basically, I asked him to pick one or the other and that's how we broke the ties. We're going to go through every team, parts one, part two, have almost half the league, if not more. Uh, and we are going to address them just in general. And then one essential question, for each team. So we are 14 number uh, with the Pelicans. Here's my thing. I think going into this exercise and going into the preseason training camp portion, I was a little skeptical of the Pelicans because the Pelicans hype train really went off the rails last offseason. I feel like as soon as they beat the Suns one time, everyone was ready to anoint them the team of destiny, the team of the future. And I get it. I think last postseason they were a very fun story. Nobody really expected much from them, but I was kind of in the mode where, and this is what typically happens after the the high of the postseason kind of goes away is that the emotional response gives way to the actual questions and, and the more practical responses. And I think there were a lot of caveats you could apply to, to what they did in the postseason. Obviously they showed a spirit that I think a few teams have, and a lot of their young guys played above their heads in ways that I think a lot of people weren't expecting, but I mean, they still need to work Zion back in. You had to wonder if part of their success was a result of Paul George not being there for one play-in game, Devin Booker not being there for another. There's a lot of questions I think you can ask. And then I saw Zion Williamson show up to training camp last week, and good God, he looks incredible. And last night he played (laughs) in his first preseason game. I think I'm completely turned around to the point where I wonder if this team could be way better than 14, if not just better
5: outright. It kind of makes sense that that's all it took, though, because this is probably the biggest swing team in the league. Like, I could see them winning 55 games. I could see them winning 39 games. And it's almost entirely because of Zion.
4: Yeah, and what I like about Zion, honestly, the last time that he played for an extensive amount and, you know, where it got to the point where he was just destroying every single defense that, that they put in front of him, his success is contextless. It's, it's not really predicated on having the exact perfect, pieces around him to complement what he does. I think he can operate in a vacuum. And then you add, you know, somebody like CJ, who can be a shot creation uh pressure valve release and also just straight up elite shooting at the same time. Like I think that's a big deal. Uh and, and if Zion is healthy, he's going to be incredible um and and I realize how big of a caveat that is, but i I think he's gonna be great, regardless of what the circumstances of the team are, so long as he's on the floor. so you basically figure they're gonna be really tough to stop on offense because of Zion just by virtue of what his skill set is, and then you know it's like will they be able to scrounge around enough defense and I think you know, we talked about the Hawks on the last episode and their lack of unity and commitment last year. I think there's a lot of positive juju around New Orleans right now, which makes me think they can be a connected type of unit that scrounges together decent stuff on defense. Not a complete, you know, it, I don't know that they have the best defensive talent. I know everybody loves Herb Jones, including um the boss, Bill Simmons, but... I don't think they have an incredibly talented defensive group, but I think because they're going to play hard, they're going to play together, they're going to be decent at defense, man. Um, They're not going to be a complete disaster effort-wise and execution-wise. Well, I'm not as sold
3: on the clear-cut fit as I think you are. Like,
4: Mm. I think Zion could be incredible,
3: but I think my question is, does it take away from other people there and what happens to that? Who are these other people? Well, I mean, Brandon Ingram, for one, who had pretty much come to become this like the spiritual leader of this team. If it wasn't CJ McCollum, Ingram had become the focal point number one guy in that team. And there was some, I don't know if there was clashing in Zion's last season with Ingram, but it wasn't as seamless as I think you would want it to. And then you add CJ in the mix. And so you have three guys who are at 30% usage rate, all jostling for opportunities. I would assume CJ takes a back seat just because he is the veteran. It seems just within his personality to do so. But I do wonder how that all works out. And defensively, I think that's probably the bigger question because you have those three guys and I wouldn't say any of them at this point are plus defenders. Like that was basically Stan Van Gundy's whole thing. He was just going horse, basically saying that Ingram and Zion had to be key defenders for all that to work. And so if you have you're closing with those three, I think you have a lot of pieces to, to put around them. Herb Jones presumably will be the fourth, but who's the fifth? And can you get enough defense collectively with those two spots to make up for what you're going to sacrifice with the top three?
5: Yeah, I think Waz nailed it in the sense that Zion is pretty context independent, but just by virtue of how good he is, he changes everything around him, right? Like right. people ha- people do have to adapt to him. Yep. And I think Ingram and-, and McCollum are obviously the prime candidates for that. The defense is going to be a big piece of that. And I mean that's where I zero in on Brandon Ingram a little bit because can he remember how to play defense again? Bruh. He, was, right. he had moments early in his career Bro. when he was a good effort defender at least and that has not been the case lately.
4: Dude, effort and his natural gifts like this guy's got a freaking wingspan that that stretches to damn Saturn. Um, he's got good, decent enough foot speed. Like, you know, we're not going to accuse him of being Scottie Pippen or anything <laughs> like that, right? But, like, he has... He's not some freaking slug, okay? Like, he can move quick enough. If he's giving the right uh, uh, mindset on defense, he can be good. If not, he's not going to be great or lead all NBA defense, which I used to think he could. I used to be like, man, this might be the only guy in existence who could guard KD because he could give him enough space while still giving a great contest because of his length. Just get back to good, man. Like, please. And and that'll be fine. And as far as on offense, it's got to be CJ that takes the step back. One, because... You're the veteran. You you got to do your thing. Like you understand whose team this is. And two, CJ don't pass, and Ingram is just like if people wouldn't believe this because of their positions and their size. Ingram's a better playmaker than him. Definitely. He's gotten. So he's made so many strides in that regard as far as on ball creation for others operating out of the pick and roll. Over the last two years, he's way better at it than he used to be. So CJ, yo, we get it. You a microwave type of guy. He don't give the ball up. He don't create for others. So he got to slide off the ball. Maybe he can anchor some of the more offensively in that bench units. And then he could get his, you know, his stat creation off. But I think the ball needs to be in Ingram and Zion's hands because they've shown one they're more likely to draw two defenders. And two, um, Ingram is just a way better playmaker than CJ is.
5: And when you start with ball handlers who are that big, then you can do all kinds of like inverted pick and roll stuff with CJ setting the screen, flaring out, getting wide open. Like, what are you going to do with a Zion-CJ McCollum pick and roll when Zion has the ball? It's just, it's an unsolvable problem.
3: Well, if we're already saying, though, that CJ needs to take a back seat and we're saying that it's going to be tough to be cobbled together, a good defense, with all three of them, Is it possible that CJ was the right point guard for last season's team, but that he might not be the ideal version for this team with a fully healthy Zion for a fully engaged Brandon Ingram? Like, I think it could work, but we're also talking about can this team ultimately contend for a title? And they've now signed CJ to an extension that's going to take him through 2025, 2026. So they're committed to him. And I wonder if ultimately
5: that becomes the problem area. I really don't have a problem with it though. Like I feel like everything we're talking about CJ's game is scalable. Like he will, he will take the shots to fill the void. If they're there, he'll scale back and be a little bit more of like a mover and a spacer and a connector. If that's what you need him to be. I feel like his game fits that really well. And the thing about this team is they really don't need that playmaking from him. They can use him in all these different capacities, like I think when when you have Ingram and you have Zion, you're going to want some kind of third star around them. We can talk about what kind of forms that would potentially take if you want to like explore the trade market, but I don't know that you're getting a better pure fit than a guard who can handle really well and take basically any like pull-up shot you give him, shoots really well spot up, really flexible in terms of that kind of shot diet that's the skill set you want next to those guys because you're not always going to be totally positive when you have two two like point forward kind of ball handlers exactly where your shots are going to come from and the variability that CJ can work with i think is is hugely valuable
4: also you know they've been they've been quote unquote stockpiling picks these last few years If they need to go out and do something they can right? If they want to put some money into it and and take on some 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 contracts and to get more talent in here, they have some draft capital to play with well, um
3: I don't know if they'll go into the luxury tax. I think that's a big concern, but I agree they do have flexibility i think the question though is like do they need it? anybody else if we're saying we're going forward with this big three and like we'll find the right guys around them maybe it's nance maybe it's i'm saying if we'll they see. don't
4: like the way the mccollum part of this is not right. working there's ways to address it if they want to okay. um and we'll see if that's the case maybe they, you know they they didn't figure out uh they didn't figure out the perfect chemical balance for these three and the the sort of parts around them and it's going to work beautifully justin who knows
3: you, you don't like Alvarado sliding into the starting lineup, just sneaking up listen, on guys all the listen.
4: time. Listen, he's a Queens guy, CHSAA guy. I root for Alvarado. Okay. Um, saw him in Vegas was very pleasant guy, uh, but you know, he's five foot nine. What are we talking about?
3: Yeah. I could do it with a little less sneakiness in, yep. in my, uh, my Twitter diet, <laughs> yeah. I guess going forward. Like it was a nice story. Like it's one of those signature things that I don't think I've ever seen somebody do like, let alone in, like an, an NBA player, let alone an adult human do. Um, but yeah, it would be nice if he he played actual basketball sometimes.
5: Well, that was the one piece of this, Justin, you brought up like, was there any kind of fluke element to their playoff run based on guys being out of the lineup? I didn't really feel that way. And in part because I thought pretty much everyone the Pelicans were playing, were playing some version of the role you would want them to play and and a role they would be comfortable in playing. I think the one asterisk Was Jose Alvarado, who was just a a little in over his head based on the circumstances, but moving him down the depth chart, no, like that's not a problem anymore.
3: Sure. Could we say Herb Jones, a guy who coming into the league was thought to have, like, if not a broken shot, something that was going to be a work in progress, all of a sudden has been a plus three point shooter. I'm not sold, but I have to say, like, in the little preseason I watched yesterday when they played the Bulls, like, the shot still looks pretty good. I think it's those type of small sample situations that I'm concerned about. And then ultimately the health, because you do have not only Zion, but Ingram hasn't been a paragon of, of health and stability throughout his career. He missed 27 games last year. CJ's on the wrong side of 30 Nance, played nine regular season games and they already gave him an extension. While that could be like a good bet long-term to get a guy like him under contract for a while. I also think you have to wonder like how many games he's going to be available. And so like they do have a lot of depth and I do think they're equipped to handle a couple injuries, probably better than they've been in, I don't know, a decade, maybe probably not since Chris Paul. Um, But if it's more one or two key guys, then I think you need to start asking some questions.
5: I think that's true. Most teams though. Yeah. You know, like anybody loses two key guys, you're, you're in a tough spot. I think what makes the Pelicans interesting is they've shown what they can do without Zion and it's, it's still pretty impressive. And that's, that's the best player by far, I think in terms of mm-hmm. what his on-court impact could be. So I'm, I, I just can't wait to see it in action.
3: Well, Oz, I'll ask you this. We have them at 14. And I think we all had them around the same rank because it sounds like we're talking about a team that should be way higher. Why are we still putting them in this lower tier?
4: I think it's because their three main guys have proved, have been uh, below average defenders um, in the very recent past. The, like, that's why. Like, the three heaviest minutes guys on their team in the very recent past have been, like, bad defenders. And in the case of CJ and Zion, we're talking about some of the worst in the entire league, like, at the bottom for their position. That's why I personally think that. And it's not as if they're surrounded by guys who, you know, it's not like there's some all-world defenders, aside from Herb Jones, who we love and we respect, but it's not like they're at the big position. They don't have some crazy rim protection. I mean, Jackson Hayes notwithstanding, you know. I think that's why I'm a little hesitant, because their three main guys have been not just, oh, he's okay, like he gives a good enough effort. He's Royce O'Neal, you know. Like yep. these guys have been horrific, at it, And so that's, that's a, uh, a reason for concern.
5: We talked in the last episode about whether some of these lesser teams in the league could aspire to the seven seconds or less model of absolutely elite offense, league average defense. I think that's within play for the Pelicans. Like if you told me this was a top three offense next season and hovering around league average defensively, I think that's a good outcome for them on the defensive side of the ball in particular, but it's, it's right there for them to grab it. If guys like Zion can commit defensively, can buy in, can actually move and rotate. Those possibilities are there.
3: Yeah, I'll also point out, we made these rankings two weeks ago now. So we didn't get to see Zion show up to media day looking chiseled and smiling pretty much the entire time and talking about how he listened to Ready to Die and all of a sudden his mindset changed. Um, (laughs) Waz, I don't know if you had that same experience Growing up in New York,
4: well, yeah, but but I don't know if I've but I've definitely not been able to couple that with a nice fat new deal. Um, so yeah, I think I think the combination of those two things would probably have me smiling ear to ear as well.
3: Yeah, I have to say, like nothing motivates a player more than money. One, but two, it seems like public shaming. Like yes. I don't advocate it at all, but it, I yes. think we now have multiple examples where people have bullied guys into giving a shit
5: again.
4: Yeah, James Harden was like, "Yo, I lost a yep. hundred pounds. Like, <laughs> it's 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 great. I love it."
5: It might be the only good thing NBA Twitter has ever done. The only right. thing it's ever accomplished is that, right?
3: Um, all right, let's go to number 13. Another really interesting team going into this season, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, we've talked a lot about them in recent weeks on this podcast network, just about Donovan Mitchell, et cetera. Waz, I don't know. Have you have you gotten your wax in there? Have you gotten your your broad takes about the Cavs with Mitchell?
4: I um, I mean, it's it's not different from anything people have heard. I think this is an ideal match for Donovan Mitchell, cause one. He showed in Utah, he's not really good at being the primary playmaker, which that is completely covered here because um, Darius Garland is elite at finding people. He's not like, oh, he's a good play. He's elite. He's one of the best in the league. He doesn't have the height of Luka, Harden, and LeBron, and Jokic, so that gives them a natural advantage because they can see more things at their height. But as far as like vision and understanding, defensive manipulation and what schemes are trying to do against him, he's up there with everybody. So you're taking that away from Mitchell, like, all right, that's not something you excel at. Take it away from him. Mitchell's defense, which was a problem, is now being supplemented by two all-NBA-level defenders. In Utah, where he had one in Rudy Gobert to help him out, now he has two in Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. So his deficiencies are being mitigated. And then when he's off the ball, he can shoot it, right? Like he's like he's going to do plenty of on-ball stuff. But when he's off the ball, this guy's made himself into a high-quality three-point shooter. So I think the fit is just incredible for Donovan Mitchell. um, It's just a matter of uh, how good is Evan Mobley gonna be on offense this year? Uh, has uh, Jared Allen taken a step? Uh, has Mobley's playmaking sort of, you know, is he gonna be able to do this high-low or get the ball to Allen in close quarters? Because it feels like they're gonna be working pretty close to each other on offense. So it's gonna be like that kind of thing, but the Mitchell thing is a home run.
5: Yeah, this is day one. Of, of a pretty interesting core that could really grow into each other over, over the next three or four years if, if everyone decides to stick around and everyone's having a good time. Or in the, in the worst case scenarios, like if you need to strip this thing down to Donovan and Mitchell and Evan Mobley, that's still a pretty freaking good place to start. You know, like if, if you need to make changes, if you need to get bigger wings, if you need to kind of change with the construction of this, I'm not convinced you'll need to do those things. But if you really did, I think there's a lot of moves that could be made. And that's where Mitchell... And that kind of positioning makes you really excited about the future of this team because that is, that is a really dynamic offensive piece to put next to Mobley.
3: Are we sure that if they're stripping this down, though, that our boy Donnie is, is sticking around for the party after his contract comes up? That, that is the darkest timeline, right? Sure. You have three yeah. years here. To, to me, they
4: got him. two years. They got this season sure. and next season to see how successful they can be with the guy. And if they want to, they can move him. And get some stuff back for the things that they gave away um, to get the guy in here. Uh, To me, like, this is a a no-brainer type of move. And, again, not only – and I didn't even mention, like, Garland is a great shooter when he's off of the ball, right? And I think – I honestly believe talent-wise, if – the three of those guys could put it in, in their minds how to best optimize each other's skills in relation to each other. Um, this could be a championship type of unit. It's just Donovan Mitchell, I, I, I don't want to be down on him. He's a clear-cut all-star. But, like, he has shown that he's kind of like hammer-meat-nail kind of player. He yeah. hasn't been this flexible read-and-react Um, I don't want to say cerebral. I hate using that, but like he hasn't shown himself to be an adaptable kind mm-hmm. of player. So I, I don't know if they'll be able to reach the, the highest heights because when you watch somebody like Golden State, it's adaptability. Like they're just fitting what they have to custom fit who whoever's trying to attack them. I don't know that they're the 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 Cavs players are gonna be, become that level of adaptable, but God knows they got the talent, man.
5: Yeah, I think if we if this is a two year window here to prove something, if we get to the end of the two years and they haven't won a playoff series, I would be pretty surprised by that. Yeah, and so then the question Me is, too. how high are we going with this? Like, how how sustainable is this, and what is the ceiling on it? Right. Yeah,
3: three years is an eternity in the NBA. Russ will be on five teams in three years. Um, so I think that probably brings us to our essential question for them, because unlike those Warriors, they have no small forwards or they have small forwards, but we aren't sure who is going to be starting or how the rotations are even going to shake out here. Uh, So Rob, I ask who starts at small forward this season. Uh, Our participants, Isaac Okoro, former first round lottery pick Dean Wade, who the D Wade jokes have been flying for two years now. Still don't know much other than that about him. Uh, And one cares. Don't finish that last
4: sentence. (laughs)
3: Gares Levert, who they traded for at the deadline last year, uh, was supposed to be their big jolt, but uh, unfortunately they moved past that pretty quickly. Or Dark House TK, traded player TK. Do, it, do you like any of those options more than the other at this point, Rob?
5: Well, I will say that that was a mercifully short list because J.B. Bickerstaff <laughs> gave his list and there were uh-huh. like eight guys on it. You know, they were like, <laughs> we're getting Lamar Stevens and Dylan Windler." He's like, anyone could be our starting small forward at this point. Oh, no. Uh, so so I appreciate that we're we're winnowing it down to, I think, the most realistic three guys on the roster. If I'm making that call, Okoro is that guy for me. And some of that is perspective in the way that I want him to grow into being that guy over time. And so we kind of have to give him a, sh- a shot to do it. But also, I kind of like when you have Mitchell and Garland in particular, this is going to sound a little counterintuitive, but I kind of like when your three is a little smaller because my goal is I want to put whoever's in that spot on whoever the most dangerous player is one through three because i just don't trust donovan mitchell and darius garland to cover those guys and so it's like if we have to guard an elite point guard tonight mm. i need to know that whoever my small forward is can do it and i feel like a is probably the best suited to the widest variety of defensive assignments if that makes sense
4: Hmm. why wow, is he a big dean wade guy Sure, why not? Uh he's as good as anything else they got in theory anyway. Yeah. I know Okoro has the pedigree of being, you know, a, a much higher pick and uh there was there was expectations placed on him at one point in his career. Like it seems like those expectations have completely dissipated uh but he, yeah, I mean, look, it's going to be wide open. I think here's the cool thing, right? In the regular season Most teams will not present adequate enough threats on the perimeter um, to make the Cavs get out of what they want to do on base defense, which is use their size, length, um, athleticism in the front court to just smother everything at the rim. Like Most teams ain't going to be able to draw them out of that. And so there'll be time enough to figure out who can best work around the strengths of what this defense is going to present. Now, you know, you play Golden State in the playoffs. Good night. Okay. <laughs> your big I mean, man if, has to leave the paint. Okay.
5: <laughs> if, if they play Golden State, that's a great season. <laughs>
4: right, of yeah, course. Right, that's right. a finals. But you know what I mean? Like you play those kinds of those kinds of teams that make your big man have to play out in space. It's a little bit different. But you know, I'd like to see Jared Allen try to get out and play in space. I Evan Mobley in moments was looked like the best switching big in the whole fucking NBA at times last season. So like their defensive versatility is going to mask a lot of the deficiencies that they have in the backcourt defensively.
3: I think the answer is they have time. They at least have half the season to figure this out. Mobley buys them a lot of that time because he can already cover things up even though he's going into his sophomore season. He is out for the first one to two weeks with, I believe an ankle sprain. So we'll keep track of that. Uh, Donovan Mitchell also talking about ratcheting up the defensive intensity. I don't know if you guys are prepared for that and prepared for everyone to bring back about how he played defensive college and then stopped playing defense for, what, five to six years since. Um, but that's a thing. But no, I mean, a quarrel, you got to give the first crack at it. Dean Wade was just signed to an extension. And if none of those options work, you could figure something out at the deadline is, is how I would approach it.
5: We can all agree Karis LeVert is not the answer there. Just no. by virtue of like, you want the creation off the bench instead. He's redundant with what they do in the starting lineup. Would not be interested in seeing that possibility. I, like, I would be more interested in the Lamar Stevens, Dylan Windler decision tree than I would Karis LeVert as a starter. It's just not what I'm into.
4: And not yeah. at the three. He's just... That's not what he does. If you were lacking some kind of punch in your backcourt for whatever reason and you just wanted, you know, some level of secondary ball handling type of juice, then he, you know, it would make sense. He don't make sense in a lineup that got Garland and Mitchell. Those guys are more than enough um, when it comes to usage than, than is needed. So he he's not some stick them in the corner or, you know, the type of guy who's going to run off of screens and attack the defense that way. And like, no. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay on the bench, brother.
3: Okay. Yeah. I think we're all in agreement that the Keller era probably is, is a short one uh in Cleveland. Um All right. Number 12 then uh, appropriately is the Minnesota Timberwolves whom, Rob, you had quite high on your list. I'm looking at it right now. You have them number nine, whereas Waz and I both had them at 12. Um, so you're buying really, really big ball in Minnesota is is what you're saying.
5: I think to a degree. And I think some of it is what what are we measuring? Because I think they're going to be a really good regular season team. And then the questions are going to come in a different way in the playoffs. And I'm really not sure how that part of it is going to go. But I, I just, I the floor here, seems very stable, seems very high. Like what Rudy Gobert gives you defensively and what they already had offensively, that I think marries in a really intuitive way. And then the question is like, can we navigate the space of this sufficiently enough to really crack teams in the playoffs? I don't know. But as far as whether they, like, do they have the capacity to be a top three seed in the West? Do they have the capacity to win 50 plus games? I think those things are... Are, are more than attainable for them, and so that puts them into a different category than some of these other teams like the Cavs. Who, I think, even in a good scenario for the Cavs, they're probably more in like the the five or six range in the East. They're probably looking more in like mid to high forties in terms of wins. The Timberwolves, to me, are, are in a different category in terms of a team that that might be ready to be taken seriously in a different way.
4: Yeah, I think the theory of what Rob is saying is that Rudy has produced basically top five offenses in his sleep over, you know, this last, like, five years of his career. And so if Rudy just defenses? showing up. Yeah, defenses, excuse me, sorry. If Rudy just showing up makes them top 10 in defense, and last year with the bulk of this group, they were a top five offense um, as far as efficiency is concerned and, we got top 10 in both, right? And that's a that's a damn contender. Like there's no, that's a high quality regular season team. And that's a, you know, a contender matchup dependent when the playoffs come, right? And so I, I, I agree with what Rob's saying on a regular season tip. I just don't know that I trust that all of this and how it needs to work is going to automatically come together when the season starts cuz it's a lot i think to figure out positionally uh what the what the roles and assignments are going to be on both ends of the court you know um and so that's why i kind of was was less bullish on their win total but the 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 potential to be wow high quality defense and high quality offense with cat and 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 um Anthony Edwards is is high, you know. And and I think as far as the trade is concerned, I think they made a bet on Anthony Edwards that this guy's gonna become one of the best players in the league, bona fide. And we don't need those damn assets because that kid will make us good, period. Right. Um when he gets to the, his high end, maybe he'll be a D Wade or you know, upper echelon type is that of
3: Dean Wade or is it Dwayne Wade?
4: Dwayne Wade, upper echelon type of guy, you know, free throw magnet, except can kill you from three uh, that, you know, if he becomes that, if Anthony Edwards becomes that, then sky's literally the limit for this team.
3: Yeah, it's kind of a fascinating experiment that they're running here, Yeah, sure. Sure. I mean, I. I want to talk about the just the two bigs thing first just because it's so odd. Even in recent seasons, last season in particular, you saw kind of the twin towers mode become back in vogue, but that was specifically designed to go all out on protecting the rim and to really make something out of a defense that probably wasn't there previously. This is a little bit more traditional or 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 more traditional being five years ago where you have an offensive minded power forward who should be playing center, but you need to protect him with a defensive center. And this is just the very, very rich man's version of that. And so I agree with you guys. This is a very high floor team. As a result, there's just way too much talent and way too much competency just for this team to be bad. But I'm pretty concerned overall in the playoffs because you're basically saying you have two I think Gobert's on a max. You have two max guys who need to be on the floor together in an ideal world, but you're basically saying to Towns, you need to be guarding the mobile fours of the world. And I don't know how high you can get in the playoffs or even in the regular season standings that way.
5: Yeah, I mean, when we talk about them as a potential top 10 team on both sides of the ball, that does sound good. And then you think about like, oh, they're playing the Clippers. Who's Carl Anthony Towns guarding? Like chasing (laughs) Paul George? like are you yeah, putting them on Kawhi? You guys
4: don't have the confidence that Carl Anthony Towns can be the Draymond Green to Rudy Gobert's uh, Kavon Kevon Looney? Y'all don't <laughs> y'all don't have the, the the confidence that this could happen? Even
3: like the Mavericks, like it's Luka and whoever the hell they have on the court. Like is that going to be a
5: problem? I see those as as being less of a problem. And some of it is like look, they're they're going to have to figure out like what they're running defensively. I think they're going to default to running A lot more drop this year. They were super aggressive last year. That's going to change. But they're going to kind of toggle between stuff and figure out what works and figure out like what Carl is comfortable with and can actually execute to make like a a decent defense. They're going to have to figure that out. But when you look back at what doomed them against Memphis in the playoffs, Rudy is a pretty specific example for a lot of that stuff. Like it was rebounding. It was they couldn't stop anybody at the rim. It was Carlin Towns was in foul trouble because he kept offensive fouling people. And then they didn't have centers to put in his place. And then it was decision making. And I think that's where we get to the Anthony Edwards part of this is like, look, Ant's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. D'Angelo Russell is going to have the ball in his hands a lot. Those two guys are going to have to navigate some pretty tight spaces now if you're going to have like a lot of a lot of size out there in this way. We'll see if they're ready for that or not. But that's a huge variable. The flow
3: charts for both D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards decision making are, are, are quite interesting. Yeah.
5: All signs point to shoot, I think, in a lot of cases. But I think the the, the D L O go look, the D L O go bear pick and roll, I think, is going to be a good thing for them. We'll see. We'll, we'll see how reliable, like in the highest leverage moments, Anthony Edwards has the ball.
4: I mean, I like that premise, but am I, am I, am I betting my season on it? My man John Krasinski pointed this out uh, recently. And was like, well, Rudy, like the screen assist shit is gonna matter for D'Angelo Russell. He doesn't create advantages on his own. He needs a Hall of Fame level screen to get his stuff going, and you know he's just a better uh, passer to guys that are rolling towards the rim than most people are, right? So I think that's a something Carl a, never does. Yeah, he he don't he don't attack the rim. He just want to shoot threes because remember he's the best shooting big of all time. <laughs> um. And so I think might be true, I think that, but yeah, yeah, I think there's some nice synergies going on with with some of these uh, pairings, right? And I think you'll probably see some of the the um, staggering go that way as well, where where Ant will play more with Cat and D'Lo will play more with Gobert. I think that the fits are going to work, and you know, I think the coach is smart and is good at coaching offense. I, I think they're going to figure the offense thing out. And the defense thing, I don't think it's going to be that hard in the regular season.
3: Yeah, they're talking a lot about the D'Angelo Russell, Rudy Gobert pick and roll. And I get it. Like, that is the best usage of probably Gobert and D'Angelo. It just, it's weird that Anthony Edwards is somehow the one of the most exhilarating young players in the NBA. But, like, he's probably third on the checklist of what you're going to talk about with the Wolves these days. And I, I wonder, yes, staggering solves a lot of it. Is he getting lost in the shuffle here to make this
5: uneasy fit work? That would be the biggest concern. Yeah, I don't think so. And some of that is like, look, this is a a very small, very anecdotal thing. But when you hear players in the league talk about the Timberwolves, especially after the playoffs, it's very interesting, like the order in which they talk about their dangerous players. Because Anthony Edwards is the first name out of everybody's mouth, mm. you know, and that's that's people coming to the Wolves to play there. That's people on other teams. That's media people around the league. Not that we matter, but like there is a there is a very specific kind of reframing happening around that level of talent. What that means, like again, it, it maybe
4: maybe that's is a he nothing. Is to put thing. it together, right? Because I think what Rob is talking about is if you watch the series against Memphis, which I maintain they should have beat them. Um, there were times where nobody on Memphis could do anything with Ant Edwards as far as keeping him out of the paint, um, stopping him in transition. Like he would he just look like a force at times. And then he, there were times where he was stonewalling John ja Morant on the other end defensively. So, like, when you watch the, those two things together, that's, that's a top five in the league guy right there. I'm stonewalling. One of the most ridiculous, freakish talents, um, on-ball talents that we have in the game. And nobody could stop me when I got the ball in my hands. That's that's crazy. That's scary stuff. Again, he's never shown it before that. <laughs> um, and and he didn't do it enough to a degree that they could beat Memphis in that series last year. But if you take those glimpses of him at his, his absolute best in the playoffs last year, you're like, damn, this team is going to be damn good.
5: We need a running list of the Anthony Edwards, the Brandon Ingrams, the Zions, like, give a shit watch on defense this year. Let's let's do some check-ins in a couple months and see where everybody is.
3: I guess that's probably why he falls so low in my conversation topics with the Wolves, because the question is pretty clear-cut. It's like, is he ready to take the leap to absolute superstardom? And I think, by and large, the answer is yes. And I wonder if the answer to my question about does he get lost within the offense is like Anthony Edwards will never get lost in anything. And if anything, yeah,
2: he'll yeah, take to it keep by the
4: throat. Down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: This episode is brought to you by hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away? Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs. Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side-by-side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in
1: the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerMBA. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerMBA right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Fuel up for game day and any day, really, at Sonic for a limited time you can get the new $1.99 Sonic Crispy Tender Wraps. And trust me, you don't want to miss out. A crispy chicken tender and bold flavors like Hickory Barbecue and Cheesy Baja. Crisp lettuce and melty cheese that make the perfect bite. So go get yourself some TLC, some tender love and chicken. And buy a $1.99 Sonic Crispy Chicken Tender Wrap today. Tax not included. Limited time only at participated Sonic drive-ins.
3: All right, that brings us to number 11 on our list, the Brooklyn Nets. <sighs> a team that literally no one is looking forward to talk about or watch this season, including probably most of all their owner, Joe Tsai, who outright said he would rather watch a team that he can get behind than some of the guys that are currently playing for him. But nonetheless, here they are at number 11. Uh, in part, I think because if they could just figure their shit out, I'm not even saying like get along or this be like fun for anybody. If they could just all show up to work and do their job, like let's say two thirds of the time, this still might be the best team in the NBA somehow. <laughs> um,
4: yeah, I don't we have agree met- with that. I don't think okay. I'm on the floor they're that as good as people think. I really don't, and I might be. The most down on Ben Simmons person in the league, in the in the, in our industry. I just don't think on the floor they're great. Especially, and then, you know, that's before you consider KD probably is going to play 58 games this year, right? I just don't think on the floor they're this strong juggernaut of a team. And then Bill mentioned it the other day. Like, Kyrie stunk up the last how many postseasons that he's been in. He basically hasn't been good since they won the championship. You know, um, since twenty sixteen, essentially, so I'm, I'm, I don't see it with the Nets, right? Uh, I think getting Harris back is going to be a big deal. They they have the potential to overwhelm people offensively, but there's a certain level of cohesion effort that they're going to have to put in it. I'm not sure that this group. With all the resentments that exist, there are going to be able to put that together. And I know that's a constant theme of these power rankings, but like it does come down to teams that have a certain level of connectedness and teams that don't. Um, teams that, ha- and, and this team is actually, they, they got like a lot of continuity. Like these dudes have been, there, a lot of these dudes have okay, been. There for, okay. on what same, is continuity in the form that they they've have? They've been. been there, <laughs> they, meaning they've been receiving paychecks. From this organization for a long time, right? Like they have a like a pretty high level of that. It's just I, I They don't know when see each other's birthdays
3: this... are. Sure. Like they
4: they
5: they've had cake with each other and
3: they talk know about each other's
4: side chicks, Succession you know? over the like, yeah They know <laughs> what's going on.
5: They do have a lot of guys who have been living in Brooklyn. You know, they do have that. Um I would not say they have anything resembling like an identity, a style no, of play, no. like what this team is within the context of itself. No. I have no idea, but I would be kind of charmed by the idea of the Nets, like groaning their way to the Eastern conference finals. Like that would just be a hilarious outcome to this whole thing, uh, winning in spite of themselves. But fundamentally, I just, I still cannot believe I watched Ben Simmons play an actual basketball <laughs> game the other day. I, I, am not at the level, like it's, it's incomprehensible that we've got back to this place was I, like, I know you're down on him. I've just been looking forward to arguing with you about how weird Ben Simmons is as a basketball player versus whatever he wore on the bench the other night. I mean,
4: listen, he took a couple fadeaways in that preseason game with hook shot. It's an improvement from seeing ghosts uh, when you're two feet from the basket. So, like, it's nice. He's working towards it. It's just the amount of buy-in it's going to take Self sacrifice is going to take to make this group work because it's not like the pieces fit completely perfectly. It's not like they have a complete team here. There's going to just, it's going to take sacrifice to make up for your teammates' deficiencies. That, like, you see these guys doing that? Like, you see them sort of um, crowdsourcing a rim protection. Right? Like I, I I certainly don't see how that's going to happen. You Listen, know what I mean? Like, do you see them crowdsourcing uh playmaking, meaning like Chris Ball movement do from all parties involved? Like, do we see that? Do we see a team that's gonna live in transition? Which again, like it takes energy. You have to will yourself to do that. Do we see that? I, Listen,
3: they're not orchestrating a hit on bin Laden here. All right, <laughs> like okay. They just need yeah. to show up because they're incredibly fucking talented. And to the question about like identity, their identity is they're incredibly fucking talented. It's like being hot. You don't actually have to have a personality because you are hot. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I, I I, I give all of those points. I can see it on all of that stuff. They They really need to like actually play together and all this other stuff. But I'm saying like if they give like the bare minimum of effort, this, this works because they're just so good. KD was second team All-NBA. He missed a third of the games last year. Kyrie scored 50 and 60, almost as if it was found money in his couch cushions. Joe Harris and Seth Curry are the third and fourth best three-point shooters in NBA history. Mm-hmm. Like, I get it. But they really only need, like, some defense, and we're already talking about them as a title
5: contender. That would be the counter. The counter is that anyone involved has to actually want to be a title contender.
4: I know. I, I know. know. And not to it, mention the coaching. The Again, Steve Nash has to massage this situation. He has to be an expert at making sure all of these people remain placated. Not just by their role. Also, they have to like, all right, like Ben Simmons is going to have a few nights where he's looking like a turtle. Um... KD and Kyrie have to completely be like, all right, guys, it's completely fine. We're not going to make a stink. We love Ben. He's our teammate. He's figuring his way through this thing. Like, I don't have any confidence that these dudes are going to be able to do that.
5: Do we want to talk at all about the uh, the Ben Simmons self-defense on the JJ Reddick podcast? His, his oh. soliloquy about how... You know, like, I just didn't see... I, look, I I didn't quite clock that the, the help defender in front of me in this meltdown of a playoff game was, like, Yeah, I'm just like seeing jerseys.
4: Tall. Even when it's coming from jerseys that are a foot shorter than me. Right. Right. It was like... I actually
3: thought he came across as very human in those things.
4: He did, he did. but his only point was... Well, Joel snuck up the joint before in the playoffs. Sure. We don't seem to dwell on that. He's right. Yeah. <laughs> He's right about
3: that. The way he explained it, I was, like, ready to buy in. I was like, oh, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. But then you remember it was Trey fucking Young, yes, yeah. <laughs> and that like he's probably done this in basketball what a million times throughout the course of his entire life.
4: Yeah,
5: yeah. It, it really hinged on the like put yourself in my shoes situation, and it's like no, you're a professional basketball player who again should know how to read a rotating defense. You're yeah, a point we were guard. His, we were in his shoes, and,
3: and we decided that it was still kind of bullshit. Yeah,
5: yeah. I don't know. I, I it's hard.
3: I Gun you to your head
4: Justin. What what is this team to you this year?
3: I I think if they can get their shit together, they're the best team in the East.
4: No. Wow.
3: No.
5: <laughs> just just plain disrespectful.
3: Again, this is this is the overcompensating I'm this saying. Like crazy, this was Justin. this is a tougher this is a this tougher is argument. This is crazy. This is a tougher argument to make than than the Lakers. I'll i admit.
4: Do you because, think like, they I were a no Ben idea. Simmons away from being better than a full strength Bucks and the Celtics last year? You really think that Ben the the Ben Simmons that we last saw play in the NBA sure. they were that guy away from being better than those two teams?
3: I think more they needed more defense and a bench, which they might have gotten and they could easily trade their way to. Like everyone talks about that they got swept by the Celtics. And yeah, it was pretty, no, it was pretty bad. But like it was, it was close. close. All those games were very close. close. I think they're on the same tier of those teams. I'd probably put the Bucs maybe on their own tier, just, but like the Sixers have their own problems. The Celtics very clearly have their own problems. Like the Nets are just as talented. They just have their own set of problems, which might include being on a different astral plane and all this other shit going on. Their
4: problems problems don't have to do nothing with layups and jump shots, bro. Their problems go to like their personal problems. <laughs> I could see like them that. as the three seed.
3: I could see them in the play in. That is the range. This t- I'm I just choosing this to team see the benefits because I'm an optimist. Games.
4: You think they're gonna win 55 games this year, Justin? I like, think they really? easily
3: could win 55 games. Yeah, wow, that's,
4: that's insane.
3: It's Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and a lot of very good basketball players. Like this isn't like something I'm just creating in in my own like mind.
5: I think. I mean, they really do have a shit ton of shooting. And so, yeah, if anyone cares, if if anyone there cares, they, they could be a pretty good team. I'm just not so convinced (laughs) that they're going to care. It's like the Clippers back in the day, post
3: bubble where we're like, is this team irrevocably broken? Like, is there something just off here or can they just figure this out? Because it really is a chemistry question. And by and large, they figured it out. I mean, quite got hurt, but like they're now probably going to be one of the top teams we'll talk about in our last edition. But I'm choosing to be an optimist, I guess. And you know me. I love I love looking at the bright side of things. I really love that for you. Yeah, thanks. So it's, it's a whole new season for me. Um, all right, number 10, the Dallas Mavericks. Another team I, I'm really struggling to get a sense of because on the one hand, they did lose Jalen Brunson, their second best player, a guy who buoyed the team when Luka was out last season. On the other hand, Luka is fucking incredible. Probably going to be the MVP favorite again this year. Seems to be a little bit more engaged, seems a little thinner in Eurobasket. And like they really didn't change much from last year's team other than swapping out Kristaps Porzingis for, I guess, Christian Wood at this point. And you're just hoping that THJ comes back healthy and is an approximation of Jalen Brunson. So, Rob, I'll go to you as, a, as our native Texan. Should I be optimistic about this team? Is the concern overblown are you really concerned about this team?
5: I'm not really concerned. I'll say this. Like, it does feel like there's a somewhat decent chance that we get to the end of this regular season and Dallas is more or less exactly as good as they were last year. And the algebra on that, on, like, take away Brunson, put in Christian Wood, like, it gets a little bit messy, but I think it's possible that Luka is one of those stars who just sands down all the rough edges of the team around him if you give him, like, a baseline level of competence. They still have all of the fundamental components that made them a good defense. They still have Luka Doncic. My concern would be like the games Luka doesn't play, the minutes when he's not on the floor. I'm not like super high on Spencer Dinwiddie and, and Tim Hardaway Jr. to like really, really step up in those moments necessarily. But I, I think they're, they they kind of will be in the same range that they were. And that team was good enough to get to the West Finals, maybe, maybe with some luck and, and the right breaks. But they feel like they're still
4: in that tier to me. Yeah, my problem with the Mavs and their placement here is that I don't think they're better than the best version of the Nets, Timberwolves, Cavs, or even the Pelicans. I don't think so. That might be true. Yeah. Like, it's just we kind of know what they're going to be. They're going to be a team with, like, an extremely great player who has nice complementary pieces around him. And so they can get to a certain high level of play, but like they're just they, at their very best. The talent around them is not on par with the best in the NBA. I don't believe that.
3: I think they're either going to be incredibly good because Luca is that good and he can will any team to be top five, eight, whatever you want to say, or they're going to be much worse than this. Like, I think it's going to either or and somehow they've settled into the middle of that range on our rankings.
5: I can't wait to find out like the truth of what Jalen Brunson meant to that team, because it seemed like he was incredibly valuable. And certainly in the playoffs, those games that Luca missed, that's a vital, vital contribution to get in those kinds of huge moments. And he absolutely delivered. But on an 82 game context. Maybe they can kind of approximate it between Dinwiddie and Hardaway and Wood. Like, maybe, maybe there is enough there that it's just like, you don't need to be that guy every night, Christian Wood, but every third night, can you please contribute to this? And maybe, maybe he and, and those other two guys are capable of that.
3: Yeah, does Wood plus a healthy Tim Hardaway, is that enough approximate juice that you lost in Brunson?
5: I, I can see it. It's possible. You know? It's definitely possible.
3: Not as reliable. I mean, if one thing Brunson was incredibly reliable and healthy all the time, and always seemed to like be there to pick them up when they needed to, but like I I don't know. I think I'm talking myself into this team being about as good this season again.
5: But I think Waz is onto something that like their value is in the fact that they are a low variance team. Yeah. Right. Like their their offense is going to be what it is. We know exactly what it looks like. Defensively, they hammer their principles. They're going to be in this zone. And they don't really have much of a capacity to exceed it. If you want to like power rank the Western conference team specifically, you can you can you know do the math on who we still have left to talk about. There's still a number of teams left. So you're not gonna pick them to win the West, but they're gonna be in the mix. Like Luca puts them in that in that in that category basically all on his own.
3: Right. I guess the question then becomes long term because we're saying maybe they get by this season. But you're ultimately on a clock with Luka Doncic, one of the best players in the NBA. And the pathway to getting that second star seems more complicated than it's ever been for them. And whatever they decide, either this season or in the offseason, is probably going to dictate the fate of that franchise and Luka's future going forward. Um, I wonder, wise, do you think, in retrospect, it would have made sense for Dallas to jump in on the derbies for any of the stars or lower level stars that got traded this offseason go bear or Mitchell or Murray
4: yeah but it would it would have uh, 100% because I think in Luca you have the type of player that guarantees competence right like at worst it's like oh one year Luca got hurt a lot so we won 37 games okay we can give that pick away and and it'll be fine and and we'll just move on with our lives. However, you know, when I think about the individual guys that got moved, when it becomes, uh, you know, a Murray, a Gobert, a Mitchell, the, the Rudy thing reminds me of Russ. It's like, y'all just embarrassed this dude with the blueprint how to, to kill this guy. Why would you go and then trade for him when you prove the point of what this guy's major deficiencies are? Um... You know, I wonder if they would ever want to get into a SGA, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> Even though, you know, we know when GMs come out and say guys aren't on the trading block, that's gospel. Right, but that's, that's been proven over and over again. Whenever a GM says a guy is completely, it's out of the question. What? We're building with Donovan Mitchell. What are you talking about? Like, oh, no, we we still believe in this core and all of that. Like, you know, doesn't mean he can't be traded. I think somebody like SGA, sure. yeah, that would make sense. Because, you know, the type of player that he is, bigger, perimeter, type of oriented guy. And again, when you got Luka, you'll never completely bottom out. But yeah, they need to figure out how to get the next guy in there because it can't just be Luca. And again, I like having a Moxie Kleber play to five like that optimizes what Luca does, and teams can't send two at him because you know they're playing this five out style. But they need another person who is elite or dominant at something.
5: Yeah, I think the issue with the guys who are available too beyond Gobert is like whoever, whatever star you want to put next to Luca. I want them to be pretty defensive-oriented yeah, um, or at least balanced, right? Like, DeJounte Murray might be a little too defense-balanced and Donovan Mitchell might be a little too offense-balanced mm-hmm. in a way that I kind of want someone who can strike the balance of those guys.
3: Yeah, that's where I knit out as well. Like, I don't think they missed an opportunity with any of those guys because that's not the right fit next to Luka. The question then becomes, like, what is? And you're kind of banking on the next available guy, whether that's SGA, whether that's someone that we're not seeing right now. Not only being a better fit, but also wanting to play in Dallas because ultimately those guys tend to have a say in where they end up. And then I think to Waz's earlier point, like Dallas really only has future picks to offer. Is Oklahoma City really going to prioritize a team like Dallas who can only offer them? Why
4: not? It's the smartest thing in the world to do when you're a GM, (laughs) apparently. You can't make better moves than get draft picks that are in the future.
3: Sure. So if they want 20 plus first round picks, they can go the (laughs) Dallas route. But I would assume at that point when they have Chet and Webanyama and and Giddy as their big three, uh, they'll probably want actual human players. But who knows? But yeah, it's it's an interesting question because it really does seem like they need to figure that out now. And it's going to dictate a lot of the shape of the NBA going forward. Let's go to number nine, another team that probably needs to get into the trade derby. Uh, the Miami heat, a team that I struggled to rank here was, I don't know if you felt the same because on the one hand they did finish first in the East. On the other hand, we kind of knew that was a little bit fraudulent if only because a lot of teams that we expected to be above mm-hmm. them just like struggled. And so I want to give them their due, but at the same time, I could see this going very bad, especially after losing PJ Tucker and essentially getting worse, not better over the off season. So where did you net out on the heat?
4: I think they're going to just basically be a 50-win team again, uh, basically be as strong as they were last year. And and part of it is like, all right, they lose P.J. Tucker, but when they're just inventing people like Gabe <laughs> Vincent and, and Max Struess out of whole cloth, literally out of thin air, inventing rotational, like, solid role-player NBA type of guys, then I can't doubt this team, you know? They're seven. He's back. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they, they have one of the best coaches in the NBA, institutional stability. They, their player development is second to none, essentially. I, you know, I don't see why they can't be good again.
5: I think that's a good case because I wanted to get our story straight for the fact that, look, it's going to be mid-January and the Heat are going to be second place in the East again. Yeah. And we're all going to be sitting <laughs> here going, like, what the hell happened? That's just what's going to happen. Like, that's just the way this is going to go.
3: I know. I joke, but there were literal things coming out of a preseason game like, could Bam and Yurt7 play together? And I was just like, all right. I was literally making jokes about this guy as someone I'd never heard before who seemed like a COVID replacement around this time last year. And all of a sudden, he seems like a rotational center.
5: I think oh, your seven can kind of play a little bit.
3: Exactly. You're saying things like that. Like he, he can't what happens. I'm not saying anything bad about your seven, but like, this is just, it happens all the time. Like they get a Martin brother and somehow that guy ends up being a potential starter this season. Yeah. Whereas the Martin in Charlotte just like, can't get off the bench. It's just, it happens every year. Um, the one thing we should probably talk about, which is probably the most interesting wrinkle other than like, can they trade for a star? Is what would they get out of Bam this year? Pat Riley threw down the gauntlet in his typical pre-offseason press conference being like, we should get him 15 shots. Maybe there's a pathway to that. Bam chimed in at Media Day. He wants closer to 18. I guess the question, Rob, is do you see that as inevitable for him? That like that
5: leap is not only something that they need, but something that he can achieve. No, it is not inevitable. Uh, I mean, <laughs> okay. we've been having this conversation for a long time in terms of where can he be aggressive? Where can he get more shots? How can he be like a more a more pressing offensive player? Where can he kind of exert force in the same way that that we've been like, we were begging Anthony Davis to attack the basket, to exert force on the rim. Like, Bam is not really that guy. Like, you can lob to him. He's going to finish in transition. He's a great athlete. Like you'll get some pick and roll stuff. But by and large, Like, he'll do a little bit of driving to the cup, but I think one of the transitions this season is going to be, can they carve out the space, and can they put him on the positions on the floor where it's not always top-down every time, where he's not always on the perimeter having to go all the way to the cup? Like, is there a way to get him into more intermediate zones to start? So then it's one-two step into finish versus having to just beat guys off the dribble and rotation and finish with contact. That's going to be key for him in just terms of getting, like, the shot attempts up. But... Frankly, I'm going to believe it when I see it. Like, if Bam wants to take 18 shots a game... He'd have to, he to do it
4: himself. Yeah, he that's does. the thing. He he has to go out and make these shots happen. It's not going to be the case where it's because, you know, some elite point guard or or whatever is force-feeding him the, the rock in his optimal positions to score. It's going to be because he's shot-hunting. And if he has the capacity to do so, then he'll go out and do it. But he, he hasn't shown that.
3: I guess that's the case for optimism, though. If it is a, actually a mindset change and that's the only thing that's holding him back from that, is that easier to achieve than someone who has to actually add a new dimension to their game?
5: Not always. You know? Like, like sure. that, that is What we're talking about is something fundamental to the way that Bam reads the game, right? Like, in terms of the opportunities he's looking for, like, he is a pass-first guy in some spaces on the floor. He's been very effective as an elbow hub, as a handoff option like he has a lot of that in his game to the point that it has incentivized him to be that. And the like, again, the like unselfish part, the, the very democratic part of the Heat <laughs> offense has incentivized that. Rewiring that stuff takes time. It's, it can be very challenging for some guys. Like, look, coaches have been, coaches were trying to like rewire Mark Gasol for ages into <laughs> taking more shots. Like, some, sometimes it's just like an uphill battle with guys. Sure.
3: And so, If that doesn't come through, and they don't get that lead, like what more are we counting on here? Just like the same old stuff: better health from Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson figuring out how to play NBA defense again.
5: I mean, I think the Kyle Lowry part would go a long way. You know, he was he was absent for a lot of last season. Again, some for injuries, some for personal reasons. Just getting that guy on the court in a in relatively healthy form would be huge. You know, again, all due respect to Gabe Vincent, but. He's Gabe Vincent. Like you want the guy with the the playoff level moxie, with the the kind of threat construction of Kyle Lowry, someone who can attract that much attention. Like they need that. Waz, are you excited for
3: Jimmy Butler with braids? You I, condone I, this look?
4: Jimmy's whole I'm gonna be a black man with absolutely no facial hair and hair extensions. Look is is confounding. It's concerning. I hope his family is reaching out to him to make sure he's good. Because I am at a loss for words. I don't know what's going on there with Jimmy. Fake dreads and the, the completely shaven cop face. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand what's going on there. I'm
3: glad you brought that up. I do think the weirder part was not having any facial
4: hair. Strange. It's strange. It's strange. Okay. Well... We'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep tabs I'm on that. I'm praying one. for that, brother. <laughs> I'm praying for him.
3: Why wow, that's your that's your next long form piece is is getting yourself those braids oh, it, and <laughs> and you're going to write about it.
5: Experiential journalism, you yeah. know. <laughs>
4: oh god,
3: investigative reporter over here, senior oh, senior writer. Goodness. Um, yes. all right, one last team here, number eight, the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, again, seem to be stockpiled with guys who are shaped like potatoes, but have ball skills that you would not expect. Uh, one of those players will have to fill the void of one Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, and so, Rob, I ask, of the group that includes Santi Aldama, who has started the past two games, and people are already like, check this guy out. He's the new Yurt Seven, but in Memphis, uh, Zaire Williams, Brandon Clark, Jake LaRavia, Kenneth Lofton Jr., and Killian Tilley, I don't know if I got half of those names right, let alone all of them, but do any of those guys jump out at you as the guy who can potentially fill Jaron Jackson Jr.'s void?
5: I don't even want to answer you because I'm going to get roasted. Like, I'm going to get roasted for being a hipster blogger for picking Santi Aldama to be the starter oh, for the Lord, Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah. Yeah.
4: This oh, is how Lord we end a podcast. Let's
3: mercy.
5: do it. <laughs> oh, Lord <laughs> have mercy. Has right, he look.
4: started the
3: preseason games? He's Path been starting to, some maybe. preseason
5: games. Um, can I just
3: say really quickly... Yeah. At first I thought it was a typo in the box score that it was actually Steven Adams because it's it's S. Aldama and I was like oh that that's Steven Adams they just started it. Yeah. but then there was two of them but it was <laughs> Santi Aldama
5: If I can go full like prospect NBA Twitter brain look it. I know, I know Santi Aldama's percentages are what they are I actually think he can shoot and I understand what those numbers are but like he has a really fluid release he's got really good touch in general I'm kind of buying it. And in terms of a guy who has some ball skills, can keep things moving, could potentially keep things spaced. That seems like the good option for me. And I think most importantly, I want to keep Brandon Clark on the bench as much as possible because I just don't trust Stephen Adams in every situation. I want to keep that as like, that's my backup five. I'm sure they're going to play together plenty, but that's kind of the arrangement I would be looking at is is that. And then then as far as like Zaire Williams, I think is a pretty compelling choice as well. But the Grizzlies low-key like lost a little bit of bench depth this offseason. And I kind of don't want to mess too much with like pulling threes into be fours if I don't have to.
4: Hmm. Yeah, but the only thing I will say, unfortunately, they've had a lot of practice with filling the Jaron Jackson void the past two seasons. Like he's missed a lot of time. So they've they've learned how to play without this guy before. It's just unfortunate because I feel like Towards the end of the season and even moments in the playoffs, you know, there were strides being made um, by Jaron Jackson offensively as far as him playing with certain level of force. You know, uh, being aggressive in ways that we mentioned Bam Adebayo doesn't do enough. And he showed a lot of that in the playoffs and towards the end of the regular season. So that's whack that we're not going to see that. But, you know. Um, I think the Grizzlies are gonna be fine. Like uh, I've talked, I've said the word effort so much in the last two podcasts, but this is a team that has that shit by the bundles. They play really hard in the regular season. A lot of times, it's all it takes. (laughs) You know, like playing harder than the guy in front of you.
5: John Morant is really the anti-Trey Young in that regard. Like guys Mm -hmm. want to run through a wall Mm -hmm. for him in a way that is demonstrable
3: yeah I think the bigger question is it seems like they have options if if albeit unproven ones to fill the void for Jackson for at least what like half the season, whatever he ends up missing. The question is like how much does it affect their overall ceiling for this season because you are getting rid of a defensive player of the year candidate from last season. um, this is the number two seat, but here we have them at eighth overall in the n b a and pretty much pretty lower than that in the West. So are we down on Memphis? all told because of this injury is there something more like where are you just overall rob on on the grizzlies
5: i think they were probably just like a little over their heads last season in terms of regular season performance and so some of that has come back to earth some of it is the jackson injury some of it is the top of the west just much more competitive with the way it lays out with so many of these other guys for other teams coming back from injuries so i think they're just ultimately i think they're going to get boxed out a little bit in a way that they didn't necessarily last season but they're still really good. Like this is still a really formidable team. And as Waz mentioned, one that's going like the effort things are not questions. Like the focus things are not questions. This is a team that is on top of it. They just don't necessarily have everything that some of these other teams do in terms of like pure star power.
4: Yeah. And 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 the thing about Jaron Jackson, too, it's it's similar to you know KP's last year in Dallas. Like, is he gonna become more than just the guy? Although defensively, he shows more than KP did, so he's already ahead of the curve on there, but he has to show that I'm more than just a pick-and-pop dude. I'm going to be a guy that attacks mismatches, and not even forget just attacking mismatches. When my matchup is on me, I can attack him and score efficiently one-on-one and not just be reliant on the creation of others for how I'm able to um, contribute to the offense. And so that'll be the next step. If he does that, they're a serious. Serious team, um, out west.
3: Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to talk about with the Grizz, Rob? John Morant, top ten player. You buying that, Desmond? He's Bain, pretty good. You still, know,
5: still working on those bicep curls. <laughs> Shout out to Desmond Bain, man. You He's know, huge. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely jacked. Really good player. I, I'm feeling a little guilty for putting the Grizzlies here. Like, should we have them higher? I
3: I think that's the question. It's like, so I have them fifth in the West, but I wouldn't change that. Like, I still think the four teams ahead of them are are going to be better. It's just a really tough conference.
4: As a young team, you know, the the reason why we would say that is we'd be like, well, they're going to show internal improvement because their best guys are really young. Um, But what kind of improvement is Desmond Bain, a six-foot-two, six-foot-three shooting guard, going to make? You know, like, what is he going to ascend to that's gonna make this team so much better than they've shown in the past, right? Like I just don't see that for them. You know, uh, I think that's why people aren't much higher. It's like, yeah, Ja. I think Ja can get a little bit better, or not—not not a little bit, but a lot better. Shot could improve. Um, he could get better a little bit at the um, decision-making kind of stuff. But it—it is it, going to take Jaron Jackson to to show that he can be a way more dominant player.
3: I think an even better question is, if they had Jaron Jackson for the entire season, would you still rank them above the Suns or the Warriors or the Clippers or the Nuggets? I don't like what's going on with I don't the think Suns. So. I <laughs> to say, we might need to
5: re-rank the Suns.
3: I
4: don't know. I don't like what's happening over there. So maybe the Suns. So maybe they would be yeah. fourth. Yeah. I could see the Suns being a leapfrog candidate because their best or second best player, whatever you want to say about CP, he's going to be worse. Undoubted, like, he's 100% going to be worse and might miss a, a ton of games, you know, because of his age and, you know, just the career minutes log. And the guy who's supposed to be in their top three is, I think, still pissed at everybody. <laughs> that's, not good, that's, not, that's not a good thing, but that'll be for us to tackle the next episode. Right.
3: I just think that's what they're up against here. Like, I don't want to be the guy where it's like, oh, they need to trade for a third star, yada, yada, because they're a lot of fun and they're a great success story. They've made a lot of good picks, et cetera, et cetera. But like, it does feel like we're getting closer to that point where it's like, you can be very, very good, but in the West, you have to be title contending elite in order to crack into a top four. And uh, unfortunately, it's like, it's also a good thing that they've reached that point that we could say that about them, but ultimately they, they face that crossroads eventually. Um, but don't we all, you know, don't we all face that crossroads in life? Uh, all right. That's (laughs) it for part three of the preseason power rankings. Not going with that one.
4: No, I enjoyed that. That's funny. We
3: will be back for part four next Wednesday to polish this off your top seven teams in the NBA. Thank you to Isaiah Blakely on production. We'll see you next time.